I don't know what they have to say. It makes no difference anyway. Whatever it is, I'm against it. No matter what it is or who commenced it, I'm against it. Your proposition may be good, but let's have one thing understood. Whatever it is, I'm against it. And even when you've changed it or condensed it, I'm against it. I'm opposed to it. On general principles, I'm opposed to it. This is the kind of thing that Paul warned against. Uh, don't exactly. say that you're of Apollos. Don't say that you're of Paul. Um, we're of Christ. But at the same time, I, I get what what's so important. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't ignore the comment. <laughs> so, uh, flowers fall. We call the bouquet. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, if you're going to put, I haven't a plug heard in, that one before. If you're going to put a plug in for provisionism, I, I I think that's that's not named after a person, and that is what provision is all about. It's God's provision for all people. Um, divergent theology. I don't know who that is, <laughs> but um, he's saying that we made our, his first their first episode. Um, I'm curious, divergent theology. Maybe you could comment on the side chat. Are y'all Calvinists who are doing a uh, theology podcast, or are you? non-Calvinist of some sort or some breed. Um, forgive me if you've already told me this and I've forgotten, but uh, there are a lot of podcasts out there. And so I've, sometimes I forget who's who, but maybe you can introduce who you are um, on the side chat before we close here. Now I like oh, Michael Patton. Provisionism, and I, add, I actually added that to my own self-declaration. You know, I call myself an evangelical fundamentalist, Baptistic dispensationalist. Uh, I, I think, yeah, dispensationalist, provisionalist. <laughs> compassionate Christian. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good way to put it right there. That's good. I need to write that down. Um, it kind of goes from general to smaller, smaller category. Yeah, yeah that's good. Um, divergent, Michael Pat, you say me, but who's me? Uh, and I'm, I don't think your given name is Divergent Theology. So <laughs> you have to tell me who me is. My, Michael Patton, I know. Um, that would be a great podcast to listen to. So, hey, we're giving a plug for it sounds like you got a Calvinist and non-Calvinist. Now we've had Michael Patton on here before. Um, and, uh, we will, uh, probably have him again sometime. He's, a, he's, he's a good Calvinistic guy and he seems real reasonable. He's actually written articles, uh, confronting Calvinist on a lot of things like calling the calling tulip, the gospel. Uh, he's, he, he comes down pretty hard on Calvinist for calling tulip, the gospel. Uh, and, uh, he's, he seems to be, uh, uh pretty good. reasonable. That's really good. Yeah. Samson. Okay. I don't know that I've had a uh, pleasure of meeting you, Samson. So good to meet you uh, via side chat and good luck on the podcast. Uh, I, I look forward to listening to it. Um, it sounds like I, it sounds like Brian, you and I made their first podcast. So wow. praise the Lord. Hope, maybe hope. we'll, we'll, I'll go listen to that when I get a chance. So uh, we'll, we'll see if you, you do a good job <laughs> representing us with Michael Patton. So <laughs> All right. God bless, guys. I'm going to go eat. I'm hungry. God bless, guys. Bye-bye. Be good. Hey, I'm Michael Patton. I'm really excited about this because I am going to be able to shut down everything that Samson says. And I should be able to do that because I'm the president of Credo House Ministries, and I've got this THM from DTS. Now listen to what he has to say.
Hey, I'm Samson Kovach. I'm from the Theology Pit, and I'm really excited that Michael's going to shut down everything that I have to say. Uh, that's, that makes me excited. I have a MAR from uh, TSM. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just I'll say it like that. This is divergent theology where we take topics. Michael and I both have bit different backgrounds theologically, and we sort of clash them together. And we, we see what happens when the world of theology actually doesn't agree with itself. With being a Gentile, we're not under the same type of, of covenantal obligations as Jewish people are, even, even Jewish yeah. Christians. Um, and so, therefore, we have a different sign that was given. And this was the sign of baptism. And baptism, again, has different figural meanings. And this is Nicodemus comes into play here, which is interesting because I actually think that Jesus meant literally being born again, like physically. Like, I think that Nicodemus was right to say, how can it be that a man who is old can crawl back into his mother's womb? I totally... Well, this is an unexpected diversion. This sounds like it needs a whole show. Yeah. Uh, I totally think that that's what it is because um, this and this becomes the uh, because nobody else in history has ever believed that. What? <laughs> what are you talking about? All right. Well, you got you. You can find three or four people. Give me a break. There's, okay. All right. I've heard so, of somebody on the internet. There was this one you, guy. You know. He, all right. Have you ever heard? He was, of, he was on. Uh, he was on MySpace, I think, yeah. or something like that, and. He said something about it. <laughs> All right. W would you would you respect a, a a student of Karl Barth saying it? A student of Karl Barth? I would I would consider. I mean, I don't respect okay. him just because he's a student of Karl Barth. I All mean, right. How about if he I, was, I what if he Karl was Barth, if Karl, What if he was T.F. Torrance? Well, Tom yeah, Torrance. I, I mean, I okay. don't know. I yeah, I I would here's what I'd do is I'd say this guy's a smart guy. I got to listen to him. And the same thing I say with you. Yeah. Okay. So here's, here's what Torrin said. He said, um, it's upon Christ's unique birth once and for all that our birth depends. And in his birth, we are given to share baptism thus reposes upon the virgin's birth of Christ as well upon his death and resurrection. I did not understand a single word because that <laughs> he writes in a style. Seriously. I've got a certain style in my brain. I yeah. can't read. Okay. Like, I can't, I can't read uh, Dallas Willard. I can't. Oh, read. I love Dallas Willard. I can, read, I can read the page over and over and over, okay. but I can hear it. It's really weird, but I couldn't even understand that even hearing it. Okay, so <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll break it down then. Um, okay. The he uh, when when you're reading Torrance, always think recapitulation view. That's where he's he's coming from. Okay, so yeah. baptism not only links us to the the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, but also to the birth of Christ. All right, okay. So when he's talking to Nicodemus about being born of water and being born of the spirit, he's talking about being born physically. And okay. this is this imagery is now taking us back to Genesis. When God creates man, he creates him physically and spiritually conditional unity, you know, a body soul unity. And so the totality of it, you must be born again. And this is where we pull up from um, uh, Anselm's Credeus Homo, where he's talking about, you know, Christ had to be the perfect person to redo all of this stuff, to, to live perfectly, and we have to live through him. 
because there's no, which means we have to be physically reborn because we have to have perfect faith, perfect body, perfect everything, perfect action. And the only way we can do that is if there's a perfect God man that could do it on our behalf in whom, whose well, body we can be a part that, Are of. you saying then that we, we start as we are, we get saved, there's a part of us that's born again, right? And we're still waiting for the finality of our salvation, right? Because we're saved or we're justified at, at, at when we have faith and then and then we move on to complete our salvation, the completion of salvation that's come to the resurrection. Are you saying the res- finality of the baptism symbolization is going to happen at the resurrection? What I'm saying is that think apocalyptic. I kind of like that. If you're not saying that, yeah. I'm saying that from now on. Okay. Think <laughs> apocalyptically. All right. And, uh, and uh, the, the apocalypse that are, I mean, there are many apocalypses through scripture, but it's given that that is a revealing. Okay. That's why we translate it revel- okay. revelation. It's a revealing of okay. what is. Okay, so the reality of your salvation, okay, is a done deal in reality. Just because you are experiencing it does not diminish the totality of the reality that you are justified, that you are saved. So baptism being a part of this, it's not this linear type of quality. It's not, okay, I, I have been baptized and now I have to wait so I can do some sanctification stuff or do whatever. Everything in total has already be done, been done. So if we're thinking about this from the body of Christ view, from the church view, and from the, the baptism view, this is something in an ongoing um, reciprocation and reproduction of what is. So the reality is that you are complete, done, saved, perfect. Christ is the proof of that. And I know that's a different way of thinking because a lot of people don't think like that. They think ordo salutis. They think, what do I have to do first, second, third? And some people would put baptism in there. They would say that that's a big part of it. It's not my confused look doesn't come from, uh, you know, being uh, hard understanding. It's just not understanding. I don't get it. I'm not, I'm not there. I'm not like, oh, okay, I see where you're coming from. And I I grab a hold of this for some reason, maybe my brain's not working right or what. I was saying that more for the, the benefit of people listening who think that maybe I'm insane. Um, yeah. you know, and that's not, that's not hard to do. Cause there are plenty of people that, that think that way, but, but it's, it's something that like I try and, and you've taught this through the, Man, theology. you're a perfect person to get for divergent theology. Yeah, right? I know, I know, <laughs> but, uh, but no, you you perfectly taught this within, uh, the theology program that you can find at credo or credo course.com. Um, it credo is it those courses, right? It's plural credo courses, credo courses. Yeah. Yes.com. Um, that you said that all of our theology is like a spider web that all fits together. And when one part of it reverberates, it, it just, it, you know, it just goes through the, the whole thing. It touches every aspect. Sounds like it. something Rome said. Well, <laughs> you can take credit for it though. How is Rome doing these days? Is he doing all right? Uh, he's doing all right. I haven't talked to him in a while. I tried to call him uh, not very long ago and I uh, need to try again. I mean, I, I, I think his ministry is going okay. And he, he's uh, still at the church at Stonebriar and, Oh, okay. So he's uh, married involved. with children. He's an elder now. there now. Oh, okay. he's an elder there now. So he's yeah, married with children, and everything seems to be going yeah. good with him. That's that's great. Yeah. That's awesome. But um, and and so well, one of you guys said that. I'm I'm crediting it to 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 your program. Okay. <laughs> okay. But but it's very. True. I agree with it. It's all right. Yeah, but it's very true. And so when you start thinking about um the different ways that all this comes into play, I've been synthesizing this and pulling it together and saying, okay, this type of understanding then demands that I think about these things in a particular way. 
And so when I think of the reality of the declaration of what God has said, I mean, when he, you hold to the forensic declaration of that God has declared you righteous in Christ. Okay. The, um, the, 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 the calling that is, that is put on you, that, that God has called you. Um, that is the same type of creative language as God calling the universe into existence, which means if, if it's reality that the sun exists, it's reality that you are justified. It's the same principle just because you haven't experienced all the sunlight that you have to experience over your whole life. Doesn't mean that it's not there. And that it's yeah. not, it's not coming. It is. And in the same way, your justification, the, the totality of it, if you want to call it uh, progressive justification or, you know, salvation as a whole, we usually use the umbrella term salvation to talk about justification, sanctification, and glorification. You know, the totality of it, God has already made that so. So it's, it's simply your perception that you're wrestling with. Why don't I see yeah, I get, I get it. everything? I get, I get that. Now, okay. Connect it to get connected to being born again, mm-hmm. being being actual right, literal, where Nicodemus had it right. Yeah. And this time, uh, I think you went kind of way back and tried to pull forward, try to go backwards with me because I okay. think that'll work better. Um, if uh, you know, if you can't start, start. Okay. What did Nicodemus? What did what? What did Jesus mean then? Here's here's. I think he meant exactly that. That you actually well, just tell me, had tell to. me one sentence what Jesus meant when he said, uh, I'll be born again. And then, okay, mm-hmm. you got to ask question, the same thing. How can a man be born twice? Yeah. Okay. Very easy. I think that Jesus meant exactly what Nicodemus was assuming. Okay. Oh, hey there, everyone. Did you know that it has not been scientifically proven that you become closer to God by listening to these podcasts or watching these videos? That's right. Science has nothing to do with this, but you are increasing your knowledge about God. Hopefully you are engaging your brain with us and thinking, "Ah, I disagree with these guys or I really like what they're saying. Either way, continue to listen and continue to watch and really stretch your mind, engage your mind for Christ. That's what we're called to do as Christians. Um, you can check out our websites at thetheologypit.com or credohouse.org, and you can get tons of great merchandise like this. Now, buying these mugs and t-shirts is not going to keep you out of purgatory, but, you know, do you really want to take that chance? I sure don't. Oh, that's good theology right there. Yeah. Okay, that, yes, you have to be created, recreated. Okay. And I don't mean this in, sometimes we use the term born again and we, we want to put into it like a, like a, we want to, we want to use the definition of metanoia and for, for, um, sorry, uh, of, of, of repentance, of redoing, of, of having a a type of sincerity and contrition and actually changing our lives. Um, and, and we take that and we say, that's what being born again means. And I don't think that it does. I think that it literally means that you have to, it's it, God is a God of perfection. He, he will take nothing but perfection. Nothing but perfection will stand in front of him. Okay. No sin, no error, no missing the mark will be in front of him, which means that from conception, from birth, you have to be perfect your entire life. Perfect faith, perfect knowledge, 
perfect trust, perfect everything, 100%. You have to do it all over again, starting from being reborn. That And that is the bare minimum of what's required. That's not something to aspire to. That's the bare minimum. And I think that Nicodemus grabbed a hold of it and said, how is that even possible? That is just impossible. And this is where we get the famous John 3.16 from. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, which must have sounded completely like a lunatic to Nicodemus. I mean, Jesus must sound crazy because Jesus standing in front of him. He hadn't been crucified yet. Standing right there in front of him saying that God gave his only son. Gave him how? What's he mean by that? I mean, it's if, if you're not thinking with the big picture in mind, John 3.16 yeah. makes zero sense in context. But we're so used to hearing it, you know, out, out of context or, or actually I should say properly within the context of all of scripture and of redemption that we miss the, the contextual oddity that John 16 actually holds to. Um, cause there's a lot of, I, I believe, I, I mean, I have to pull it up, but I think there's a lot of Aris tenses in there. Um, and so he's still talking to Nicodemus, but then we take born again and we have that same understanding. And I'm thinking that what Jesus is saying is what, um, uh, Anselm was getting at and, and what he was, was driving at that Christ, this is why Christ had to be the God man. This is why we have to be part of the body of Christ. This is why he's the head. This is why the church exists. This is it. And, and what baptism is, is baptism is showing not only our, our identification with the death and burial and resurrection of Christ, but also with the, with being born with him and being perfectly sinless coming from the virgin's womb. Does that make a little bit more you sense? Know, it's, it, it's, it's okay. I get it now, but it just seems it seems highly unnecessarily symbolic. I, I think I think maybe maybe you're right. Maybe there's this deeper, and I know where you're coming from because I know I know your your tradition, and I know the style of interpretation and everything else, and I know how you're you're always looking for you know different layers, uh, and not not just layers like like metaphorical layers. But actually, uh, kind of uh, Christological layers, you know, and and uh, understanding everything through through what he did and who he is, and I get that. I get that. Um, that's that's the only thing I have is I start with a different deal. I mean, I look at this and I say, yeah, it must be born again. And Nicodemus said, you're the teacher of law. How do you not know these things? And I say, how would he know these things? And I say, well, it's easy. I mean, we we had a death at the very beginning, and if we're dead. Then we have to be born again. And then he talks about the spirit, you know, and the, the flesh and all that kind of stuff. And why don't you know about Genesis? Yeah. That's well, what I think about it, but I don't want that to. Well, that's, that's kind of your, it. I mean, no, but that's, that's kind of it. It's like, okay, look, Adam was supposed to live the perfect sinless life. Yeah. That's a given. So go do that. Go but, be but what Adam. Does his death mean? What does his death mean? And then what does our birth mean? His death wasn't a physical death. It, well, at least at first, it was that spiritual death, a cut off from the father, a, a relate, relational death. Well, no, I and think then it's a physical what is death? death? This is a relational birth. Adam, But Adam is dead, right? So it was a physical death. Well, yeah, sure. But but what? It, when the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. There definitely was a spiritual death. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's got to be, right? Am I wrong about and, that? No, no. And everybody kept dying after that. Well, then what's the spiritual death that happened? That that fracturing, that separation? 
Okay, that, that if isolation that's gone, from God, and if that if the rest of humanity is born without that, and then we're born and we we're we're walking this earth with without the the most important. We're not, we're not walking on the earth without the spirit because we still have a human spirit. But the most important element of our of of our life and that that makes our our spirit and everything work. It is it is that relationship with God, and so being born again makes sense to me just by saying a reestablishment of the relationship with God. Yeah, and that's very um, that's honestly a very Thomistic understanding of um, because his understanding of um, you don't have to be on you don't have to say honestly as if I would be mad about that i like thomistic uh, stuff yeah I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of aquinas but my um uh my advisor oh, i love the way right it's good stuff man uh, his theory on angels it has driven so much stuff of my stuff he it's denied good. that jesus christ had faith i'm leaving it at that <laughs> what's that he denied that jesus christ had faith i'm leaving it at that it's all right, all right. Yeah, he probably yeah, just said know, he didn't whatever. eat it no no he did no my 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 advisor in seminary was a um uh uh Thomistic scholar. He did his, uh, I think his master's work on Thomas and he did his um, Aquinas and um, he did his PhD work on Jacob Arminius. He was a fun advisor to have, let me tell you. But no, I always sure. used to, but when I, every time I was in the Summa Theologica, I'd just be like, dude, this, I, I don't agree with this. Anyways, that's, yeah. that's, that's it. But no, but his, his understanding of, um, of, of homartiology of sin was that, um, yeah, the Holy Spirit actually departed from adam at that point and that that's what yeah. and that that's what that that fracturing was so what you're saying yeah. is very um yeah very Thomistic. i mean it has a, a great you know uh history behind it i don't i, I don't 100 percent you know hold to that um and so because of that well i see where you're going though with the imagery if you're if you're seeing a recapitulation of everything i mean if mm -hmm. you go to revelation you go to the recapitulation theory you go to creation mm -hmm. and your your and your views of baptism and everything like, you know yeah i understand it then you know it makes sense to me i'm not saying i agree with it but it makes sense it doesn't necessarily diverge you know that that thing on on uh <laughs> What what being born again meant uh, seems like it deserves diverge. That's that's actually the very first time I've ever heard that. Oh man, you got I'm glad you got a scholar behind you, a good scholar. Well, I told and, you, and, I told you, I said, do you really want me to back this up with some heart? All right, yeah. You know. <laughs> because <laughs> i knew that i pulled that quote up tonight because i'm like i know i'm gonna be pressed on this um, oh yeah, yeah yeah that's all right i mean it's but, uh, a, he, he's a he's a fun he's a good fun thinker isn't he i love i love torrance i mean i said before he's my spirit animal i just i absolutely love him yeah. I, mean, I think i think he gets it but um but i think that this is and one of the reasons why i like talking about this and why i like pushing this so much especially in in an american context is because we're so individualistic we tend yeah. to we tend to to get rid of the corporate aspect. We get rid of the familial aspect. We just we make it so much about the individual and about ourselves. I think it's good to shake it up. And I'm not trying to 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 really push the recapitulation view as though it is the atonement theory. Again, yeah. I think that it's a layer within it. And as you can see hey, from I a lot too. of my, I think that I think recapitulation is a necessary understanding of it and it was just is it is part of the atonement yeah and and so you can see how i mean even your your understanding of the different atonement theories how yeah they all have meaning they all come into play i mean the christus victor the um yeah i mean everything just it, it's like well yeah these are all equally true 
And so while you're looking at them, you're looking at these different levels. Now I think you're getting a better picture of how I'm viewing a lot of scripture and how I'm viewing a lot of my theology and how I'm viewing a lot of things that this isn't the only place where there are all of these layers that are being brought out because just like, just like poetic imagery and, and poetry has you emotionally on many different levels to, to see what God is saying. Well, you know, it's it's hard. It's hard to see the stuff and it's really hard probably for people listening to see it because you're speaking, and that, I mean, there'll be some people that are following because they would be of this, uh, but you're speaking a covenantal language. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, whenever, whenever you go there and you, you speak that way, and, and you're speaking a uh, from a covenantal hermeneutic. Mm-hmm. And that's the main thing because it, a covenantal hermeneutic is so, if it's true, it's so incredibly deep. If it's false, it's just hard at work for, you know, kind of getting back to the same thing, isn't it, type thing, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, part of the problem is that you can't look at it as though it can mean anything. Because that's that's an impossibility. It, yeah, sure, it, sure. it can mean things, sure. and it obviously means yeah, something. Rules. Yeah, and and there are uh, there are places in there where you know it, it's it doesn't it doesn't go off in left field. It's not like you can take a a, a figural reading or you know a- allegory as we would call it, and and just go crazy with it and just say, well, this can yeah. mean anything. In the same way that you wouldn't take a literal reading of scripture, and then say, well, everything has to be read literally. There's, yeah. I mean, there's a balance in there, but you also can't take the literal grammatical historical hermeneutic and then say, if, unless you can figure out what that is, you can't know scripture. You can't know what it is. And so therefore you can't find salvation unless I don't know. You, I don't know what you mean by that. Uh, How, say that again that, in a different way. Okay. That you can't take a particular hermeneutic that would leave out any type of imagery that would leave out any type of um, okay. figural understanding okay. and, and say, unless you can do this, you cannot have the right type of knowledge, which is required for faith in order to be saved. Because some people, and I'm not, I'm not accusing you of this. Some people no, take it you, that Unless far. you can do what? Tell me what it is. Uh, to, Give and, me an illustration of what how this happens in real life. Okay. Unless you can sit there and, and read scripture, like um, Lutheranism is a good example, law gospel. Okay. Unless you can understand the law gospel paradigm of you know what came first, what came second, why Christ is the answer, unless you can grab a hold of that, you don't have the necessary conduit of faith by which to receive the grace. And so it becomes almost, almost like a work, like your hermeneutic is like a work to figure out what you need to know in order to be saved. There you go. You got it. Okay. So with a figural reading, I'm not so much, we're not so much doing that. It's not like, it's not like we disregard the literal, you know, it's not like it. Cause I mean, let's be honest. Like I'm, I'm preaching tomorrow morning. I preach every Sunday and I spend the bulk of my time writing my sermon using a literal type of hermeneutic, you know, to figure yeah. out the history. I probably spend way too much time in history. I know in your, um, uh, teaching course that you gave online, you slammed me for that, for, for spending too much time in history. But, but I, you know, I, I remember <laughs> that. Sorry, man. That's a scar that, that I have oh, from you. Uh, don't worry. It's only, it's only, uh, no, no, it's, at least you weren't on the one that's recorded and, out there for people to watch <laughs> no no huh? this was all on uh pal talk and, and everything this was a long time ago but um but no so i do spend time with that but for applicative 
reasons. I go to a figural. I find the, the, you know, the Christ example in it. I find it like, I mean, I can spend time in, you know, Ezekiel 18 and I see the gospel. The gospel is clear right there. And, and, and you could hear it when, um, Ezekiel 18 is, is the, um, uh, I, I believe this is the one, the, the illustration of the three different types of men. The first uh, guy is um, someone who uh, follows God's precepts, love God, like does everything that's right, helps people out, you know, does, does everything. His son is just like a scoundrel, a man of blood, does like you know, garbage. And then his grandson sees what his, his father has done and decides I'm not going to do that and follows more with his father. And it, I think it's prefaced in the, in the beginning. And if you're looking it up, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, where it says they will no longer see say, why have um, the fathers eaten the sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on the edge? I believe that's where it's from. And and when you go through that chapter and you get to the end, it shows their repentance where if the evil man, if the wicked man repents and turns from his, God forgives him and remembers them no more. I mean, the gospel message is in there. So very, very clearly, it's not a, a, a huge, like figural hermeneutic leap to say, this is redemption through Christ. Yeah, I don't think it's any hermeneutical heap. I I, I think you're still, at that point, in a grammatical hermeneutic, uh, literary grammatical hermeneutic. I mean, well within that. But 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 you've taken that. At that point, you're able to, I mean, of course, literal grammatical can take all this imagery and stuff. Mm -hmm. And they can even see new things because of what the New Testament says about it. But those things have always been there. Yes. You know, it's always a New Testament shines light on the Old Testament, right? Yeah. And the reason why God can forgive just even in the Old Testament before Christ is because of the eternality of Christ's sacrifice. And yeah. so therefore this is, and, and so what you're doing, even though you're using a, a, a literal grammatical hermeneutic, you are then taking that and you're using then the allegorical or the figurative, figurative to, for, for applicational purposes. Yeah. And it's fine to do that. I mean, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with it. It's not, you know, um, it, it's not like allegory is a, a dirty word. It's just that some people have this perception of it. And so, in in thinking like this and in thinking of these different layers and thinking of that of that texture and also the immu- immutability of god you you're going to see a a consistency through the old and new testament um with the way that god deals with israel the way that he deals with people the way that he reacts and his his graciousness that um that is there uh and and that's why i said it's um you know the old testament is all god loves God's love coming out to humanity and none being given back Christ in the new Testament is all of his love going back and returning back to God, giving what's appropriate to him, putting everything right and making everything right. It's, it's a complete uh, cycle. It's a complete reciprocation, everything and everyone inevitably returns back to God. As, as some theologians have said, you know, at the end of the end of time, uh, you're either going to say to God, thy will be done, or God's going to say to you, my will will be done. Mm. Like everybody is, is returned back. And I mean, I think revelation yeah. is, is strong with that. So when it comes to, uh, to kind of, you know, uh, bring us full circle back into what started this, when it comes to baptism, it's much more than just the individual. There's a lot that's going on with the body of Christ. There's a lot that's going on with the church. There's a lot that's going on with God behind the scenes that, you know, we, because we're not seeing it in a linear fashion, um, 
you may have a hard time grasping, well, why baptize infants? That doesn't make sense. They can't profess the faith. And it's like, yeah. you don't understand the church is professing faith. They're, they're being brought into the faith of the church, the members of the church. They will grow up in the church and they will be baptizing and bringing people in. Everything is, is reciprocating back. It's, it's, it's all happening. It's, it's a lifestyle. It's a community. It's, it's more of a living. Yeah. It's not a linear fashion. And I think that a lot of times, like evangelical free churches and what have you, they think very linearly. I think that this is why um, dispensational eschatology actually is very appealing to them because it's a very linear uh, way of, of reading and understanding and, and sure. seeing things that are happening. Sure. So I don't and know if, I, 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 I don't I know if all this diverged enough for you. <laughs> no, it's fine. I mean, it, it, it's, uh, I don't know if that's, uh, that is, the, I mean, I've got a lot of questions about the baptism thing, you know, still. I think what I, what I said last time was I've never spoken about this subject. And I, and I haven't, and I'm glad you were spoken to anybody about this subject. Because uh, it's, it's really fun to be able to talk to someone that mm-hmm. is, you know, holds to this view and ask him some questions, kind of grill him on some things. Now, I get it. I get it. I get the, I get the hermeneut- hermeneutical, hey, listen. That, that it'd be a good time for us to change, right? Okay, yeah, yeah. This uh, is the a next perfect, one, and it'd be a really segment. good time for me to yeah. reset my internet. Sure. Yeah, I wanted to hit on some I, of the. I, I, uh, I don't want to keep on doing that. Stop. Yeah, I, I wanted to hit on some of the uh, uh, marriage stuff and some crazy things that Michael Green said in his book Baptism. But you know what? We can uh, we can save that for another time and move on no. to a different subject. Okay. Here. Good. Yeah. Good. Hey, thanks for listening to Divergent Theology. You can visit our websites at credohouse.org or thetheologypit.com and make a donation. Support the ministry that way. Now, here's a quick look at next week's Divergent Theology.